Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Red Light Report. On today's episode is fellow biohacker and is a board-certified physician. It's Dr. Ron Primus. He's been a board-certified physician for over 30 years, assisting New York City residents and travelers with their health needs. He has concierge medicine. He offers longevity services. He does travel medicine. And again, fellow biohacker. And that's kind of how we met. And we've been keeping in touch over the past year plus. Uh, Ron and I go back and forth through email or through text as he's been experimenting with some of his biohacking uh, modalities and He's he's tested out the uh, uh, use the cocoon and and the guardian and and the bio blue of of recent. But without further ado, Ron, let's get into some conversation. We were talking a little bit before we even started the record button. But without further ado, first of all, welcome to the show, and uh, just give us a background on kind of how you came to be a board certified physician backslash biohacker. That's a pretty wicked combo. I'm just telling it's, it's it's been a long journey. First, I want to say thanks, Mike. Pleasure. I know, uh, you know, we speak on the phone every once in a while and, and we email back and forth. And thank you so much for having me on here. It's an honor. Love talking about this stuff. And uh, I think it's great. But uh, how do I start? So my journey was back, back, back. Uh, when I was in high school, I had no desire to even go to college, right? Because uh, my father grew up in a depression, only went to second grade because he had to work. And so he couldn't guide me. Uh, my mother died when I was a kid, so I had no guidance there. And I, was, I loved music, so I was going to be a 16-track recording engineer. And uh, went ahead and uh, got accepted to IAR, like Institute of Audio Research, because that was going to be my career. And uh, my best friend from high school was like, hey, why don't we go visit my brother up in college? And uh, went up there. There was only one school, in Binghamton. And uh, we had a class of 1,000 kids. I was number 15, he was number 16 in position. So we literally could have gone anywhere, but I had literally no desire to go to college. And uh, when I get to college, uh, I mean, when I, when I, my friend, we go up to visit his brother. I'm like, oh man, this is perfect. This is, this is where I want to go. I didn't go to any other school. I only applied to school and, uh, and got in there, right? And then they asked what you want to matriculate in. And back then, my hobby, and still is, my hobby is raising uh, fish, like aquariums. So I raised, I, like my hobby is I, I breed dwarf seahorses. And, you know, I've got a micro reef tank, all sustainable, by the way. So if any listeners are worried about what do I mean to destroy the reef, I'll, you know, we, it's all, you know, uh, captive bred stuff that I have. So none of this stuff's done in the wild. And in fact, not to digress, but we as hobbyists will ultimately help save some of these reefs, right? Because we experiment with the stuff in our own tanks. We know what works, what doesn't work. And we will go ahead. And if the time comes that they need fracks to repopulate a reef, we've got tons of this stuff to kind of repopulate reefs. So we, we're sustainable. We do all work for myself. Anyway, so that was my hobby. So <clears throat> my senior year, is, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to Scripps Institute to become a marine biologist. But I met my wife uh, senior year in college. And uh, my wife was like, look, I am not going to be staying with you. You're going to be on a boat for like six months. I'm like, what the hell else am I going to do? She's like, well, my best friend decided to go to medical school. He's like, she's like, well, he's going to medical school. Why don't you try medical school? I'm like, 
all right, what the hell, I'll try medical school. So uh, went ahead and, uh, and went to medical school. And my first day on the wards, I was uh, walking around and uh, noticed that 90 plus percent of the people that were there um, were there by their own behaviors that were due to poor health literacy, right? So either they were overweight, they drank too much, they smoked, they got in a car accident, they got in a bar fight, they got stabbed, they got shot, they got in a car accident, what have you. Like, God, this is like, this is insane, right? Like, like, like literally all these things could be prevented. And so once I finished uh, medical school, I did internal medicine training. And after internal medicine training, because I saw that it was a sick care system, again, I'm so committed to prevention that I went, I did a prevention, med med prevention preventive medicine fellowship. Uh, after that, and came back, uh, became uh, a director of an AIDS clinic in Brooklyn, and then became uh, another director of one of Mount Sinai's outpatient departments, and then you know, decided again, I didn't want to continue doing the whole sick care thing. So 30 years ago, I, I just set up shop and started trying to do you know, prevention. And, and that's, that's my journey. Wow. 30 years ago, you were on the preventative bandwagon, right. so to speak. Wow. Now, back then it was all behavioral, right? It's not the kind of stuff that we do now. So like, so what I do now is on, like everything I do now is under the umbrella of prevention, right? So I do travel medicine, meaning I prevent people from getting sick if they go into any underdeveloped areas and they need like yellow fever uh, or they need, you know, malaria tablets and that sort of stuff. That's one. Two is I do weight management to kind of keep people's metabolism optimized. Then I do longevity medicine. So the most of the umbrella of what I do is all prevention. So interesting. Well, this is, I mean, you probably have a pretty good perspective of this given your uh, longevity, pun intended, in the, uh, in the field you're in. What have you noticed, maybe even as a population, some trends over the last several decades? Like what, uh, what health maladies have really risen, what have gone away, or like what treatments have really um, you seem to be most effective or, you know, what have fallen off uh, the, the cliff, so to speak? Like what trends have you noticed in the 30 plus years that you've been doing preventative uh, medicine? So, well, you know, heart disease cop clearly is like the number one killer in the developed world. And one thing that has for sure helped, and again, I'm not pro-drug, but again, uh, the statins, there's an association. I know some people will dispute it, but there's clear association between the time that statins were invented and brought out to the public and the amount of heart disease in the population, right? Um, it's dramatically, dramatically less. So that's, that's one thing. And I, I'm one of those guys where I hate to do things chemically, and I try most of my patients to get them to exercise and to eat right and that sort of thing. Um, but every once in a while, you'll have some genetic risk factors that, you know, people will need, you know, medical intervention. Um, so that's probably number one. Uh, number two, what's really interesting is my take on the opioid epidemic is, is a bit different. It's it, it's huge. But, you know, I've been in practice, I've been, even my medical school was back in the 80s. And so I remember people before opioids were able to be prescribed for the general public. The only time that you could prescribe opioids when I was in training was postoperatively, intraoperatively, or just that was the only times essentially. And but I cannot tell you how many people they would bring in 
to the to the ER with perforated ulcers, with renal failure, with liver failure, because they were taking over-the-counter Tylenol, just downing it for their pain. And aspirin, taking aspirin and Motrin and shutting down their kidneys and, and like literally people almost dying because they would perforate a hole in their in their stomach and have to have emergency surgery. And then when the opioids came out, it actually kind of took a buffer, you know, it, it took some of that down. So all of that trend of seeing people come in with acute renal failure and liver failure and perforated ulcers, that I've seen a big change because that has gone down dramatically since opioids. So there's a time and place for it. Um, I personally don't give it out to my patients unless it's extreme or, or they're an extremist or just an acute injury. But I can see where there might be a place for controlled dosing of opioids in people with severe chronic pain. Um, but again, as, as a preventive specialist, a lot of chronic pain is due to, again, abuse and neglect of some, someone's own body, right? So it's all this inflammation going on. And if people live an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, you'll have less need for opioids as well. So perfect example, I have a, a young lady who has lifelong trigeminal neuralgia, right? She's literally crying. And she's a, she's a, a friend of mine. And, you know, her doctor had her on, like, Vicodin every day and all that stuff. And I'm like, why are you on that? You need to come see me. And, you know, I put on a regimen of just some anti-inflammatory uh, vitamins, fish oil, algae oil, that sort of thing. I had her do time-restricted eating, but only having her window of feeding of, like, six hours instead of the eight-hour window. So I have her more compressed. Um, I had her on an ancestral health diet, just everything. Her need for the, for the she, she literally almost was in tears because she got that much better. Wow. A short amount of time. So once you take all the inflammation down, um, you know, the standard American diet, of course, is what's driving the whole thing. Um, and people are just walking around in flames. In fact, I think that might even be part of the reason why we have an opioid crisis, right? Because the diet is just so poor. Everybody is just walking around with just a little bit of inflammation all the time. That all it takes is one little thing to kind of push somebody over the proverbial cliff. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, wow, I need something more because this is not working and they need opioids. So I think we need to control people's inflammation. At this point, I'm sure you guys have heard of Methylene Blue, especially if you've been listening to this podcast. You guys have heard me shout from the mountaintops the many benefits of Methylene Blue. So Methylene Blue is a major, major mitochondrial booster. It has a lot of similar properties as red light therapy, but they actually work slightly differently as far as how they derive their benefits to the mitochondrial function. A couple of the, my favorite aspects include the fact that when you ingest it, the majority of the Methylene Blue ends up in your brain. So that's why you see these amazing cognitive, mental energy boosts from Methylene Blue. It can even stave off or prevent or reverse some types of neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. This is my second favorite part about it. The Methylene Blue has this innate sense to help cells that have the most mitochondrial dysfunction first before helping other cells. So not only does it help cells that need the help most, but again, most of the Methylene Blue ends up in your brain where, as you all know, that is the most mitochondrial dense tissue in the body. Thus, that's why you see all these 
these amazing benefits with the brain with methylene blue. And then thirdly, red light therapy and methylene blue are major synergists. So of course you have your independent benefits when you just use methylene blue or red light therapy. But when you combine them together, you amplify the benefits of one another and you get the synergistic response. So anyone that's interested in red light therapy should at least be considering or looking into the many benefits of methylene blue. And as you know by now, if you've been listening to this podcast, my company BioLite has recently released an enhanced methylene blue product that includes certain ingredients like NMN that further boost the energy production of the mitochondria. It also enhances the photodynamic activity already associated with methylene blue by including colloidal gold, colloidal silver, which have their own antimicrobial or cognitive benefits, silver and gold respectively, but they also have their own photodynamic benefits as well. So again, you're amplifying the benefits of red light therapy when you ingest BioBlue. Lastly, fulvic acid helps you absorb anything that you're consuming when you're also taking it with fulvic acid. So it drives everything deeper into the cells. When you take BioBlue, it helps further absorb the methylene blue, the NMN, and the colloidal gold and silver. So you get this enhanced methylene blue product with BioBlue. And so of course, for my loyal listeners, especially you guys that have listened this far into the ad in the middle of the episode here, I'm going to give you guys an exclusive 15% discount on your order of BioBlue. And you can apply that to a single pack or a double pack or a four pack or a 10 pack. And of course, with a larger quantity, you actually get an increased discount. Simply use coupon code BioBlue15 at checkout. That's BioBlue15 at checkout. And you can snag that 15% discount off your order of BioBlue. So if you're interested in seeing what all of the excitement around methylene blue is about from its ability to improve cognition, energy, improve mitochondrial function, and furthermore help mitigate or prevent things like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and depression, pain, cancer, go ahead and give BioLite's methylene blue enhanced product, BioBlue, a shot and see what you notice, especially when you combine it with your red light therapy treatments. So is that story you shared, is that similar like across a lot of different chronic pain patients you work with? Because I know, especially firsthand, the chronic pain is notoriously difficult to treat. So is something like you posited with that story, you know, like addressing the diet and helping with some anti-inflammatory? I mean, I don't have have a whole lot of chronic pain patients, um, but in my pain patients that I do have, once I get them to buy onto it, most of them do dramatically better. What I what I what I like to do with a lot of my patients is I put them on a three month therapeutic trial. I'm like, look, just humor me, just for three months, just do this. In three months, you should see a difference. I'm like, you know what? In three months, if you're not dramatically better than you were when you first came in, then go back to whatever you do. I don't care what you do. Just go back to drinking, smoking, whatever. But I can guarantee you, in three months, you're gonna feel so good that you know you, you're you're not gonna have it go back to whatever your previous life was. The same thing goes for being like my overweight patients, right? I will never tell a patient that they have to lose weight unless they're morbidly obese. To me, being overweight is a sign that something in their life is not happening. Either they're inflamed, they're not getting enough exercise, they're eating the wrong things. You know, uh, and I tell people like, if you get your lifestyle in order, I'm not gonna tell you to, to count your calories or doing that sort of thing. But once you get your lifestyle in order, the weight loss is going to be a good side effect of a healthier lifestyle. So, you know, I know a lot of doctors, oh, yeah, you got to lose weight. I don't ascribe to that. Gotcha. Well, before we jump in, because I'm curious on your uh, take with your longevity services, 
give us a little background on like how you got into biohacking. Of course, that must have been appealing, especially with your mindset and background in preventative medicine. Like biohacking is kind of that in a nutshell with with the lens of also longevity and health span as well. So how did you I mean, because you were you must have been around or got into biohacking like at its very beginning, right? So give us a little bit of background on, on your story, how you got into it and like how you utilize it like in your daily life personally. So at first, um, I used to be alone when I, up until I was 30, I, you know, I was of that mindset. I did, I ate anything that I wanted, really wasn't healthy and uh, never exercised. I was overweight. I was a good 50 pounds bigger than this at that time. Um, and I was always worried about my own health because again, my mother died when she was young of leukemia. Her mother had leukemia, her uncle had leukemia, and I was like, Oof, man, I got to do something to kind of, you know, not go down that path, right? Not, it's, it's not a genetic thing, so clearly environmental. So, you know, just one day I woke up and I was like, man, I can't keep having my suits get bigger all the time. I wanted to start exercising. So started exercising uh, little by little. I started, couldn't do more than a push-up or a pull-up or whatever. And every day I promised myself I'm going to do one more. So the next day I did two, then three, then four, and I slowly built up. But I still wasn't losing, I still wasn't losing the weight because I was overtraining. Got to the point where I was at the gym like three hours a day doing my entire body. So instead of, because I didn't know any better, they don't teach you this stuff in medical school. And then years went by, nothing was working. Uh, and I was in a medical journal and I was looking at an ad for what's called the Coors Metabolic Analyzer, right? It's indirect calorimetry. We use it in intensive care unit patients to cheat, check and see what their caloric needs are if they're in a coma, for example, just to get an idea of how many carbs they're burning and that sort of thing. And um, I called the company to try and buy one of the machines from my office. They're like, wow, it's like, this is a long time. It's like, what's $8,000? I'm like, can't afford that. I'm like, you know any of the doctors in the city that do it? They said, no, but this guy named Jeff, he owns a company called Jeff's Gym, and he's downtown. And he has one. I'm like, all right, cool. So I called my, I, I called, we became really good friends. So Jeff's a personal trainer. And um, so I call him up and I'm like, look, I really want to do this test because everything I'm doing is not let me make me lose the weight. And I'm training every day. All right, come in. He goes, but it's expensive to do the test. I'm like, how much is it? Well, it's $80 for a test. That's like, that's like nothing for a one-time test. So I went there. I did a VO2 max and I did the metabolic analyzer. And when he did it on me, he saw there was a mismatch between my VO2 max, which was almost like an elite athlete. And the, because by that point, I was, I was already training for like eight years every day. And he said, but your metabolism is so slow. He's like, what are you eating for breakfast? I'm like, nothing. He's like, what are you having for dinner? I'm like, I mean, for lunch. I'm like, nothing. He's like, what about dinner? Oh, dinner I'll have. I'll tell the describe what, I, what I'm eating. And he's like, oh, because that's crazy. You're only eating one meal a day. But that's, that's your slow damn metabolism. I want you to start eating every two hours. And I thought it was nuts, right? And I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. He goes, well, no, you got to do it. Anyway, long story short, he had, he pared me down to only doing an hour of strength training three days a week. And then he had me doing cardio the other days, some balance training and stretching, that sort of stuff. But I was eating like every two hours. And the weight, by two months, the weight just kind of peeled off. I mean, I couldn't even keep the weight on. Because I finally learned how to do it the right way. And then what happened was I, like, just as an aside, chronically lived with, like, abdominal pain, you know, my entire life, even when I was a little kid. And my father 
would tell me stories of how when I was an infant, he had to take me to the pediatrician because of my abdominal issues or whatever. Um, turns out I was taking an acupuncture class, and of course, I sitting next to me as a pediatrician, and she saw me kind of hold my stomach and get me to the back all the time. She said, wow, she goes, you're diabetic. I'm like, no, why would you say that? She said, well, you keep going to the back. I'm like, oh, wrong end. She was like, what do you have for breakfast? I'm like, oh, a bowl of cereal. What do you have for lunch? Oh, I don't know. Bagel, croissant. What about dinner? Oh, a bowl of pasta. She's like, Jesus, because you're killing yourself. You have celiac. And I'm like, ah, I don't have it. I've been to all these GI. And at that time, I was in my I was 40 something. And um, I was like, look, I've been to all the top experts at gastro, and they all tell me I have to go about. She was coming to my office. I went to her office. She draws my blood. And then um, the blood test showed anti-transcontaminase, anti-gleaning antibody. So all my gluten parameters were like off the trust. Nobody had ever done that on me before. So I stopped uh, eating wheat. And within a week, 40 years of misery out the window. I was like, wow, this oh. is amazing. I'm like, I have to read about this. So I did a deep dive into why do you sell you up a gluten sensitivity? And I read Lorna Cordain's book, you know, Paleo Athlete. And I'm like, this totally makes total sense, right? And so I went ahead and started adopting the ancestral health lifestyle, eating like, you know, training like Jeff told me how to do, eating like Lorna Cordain suggested in the book. Um, and at that time, like, uh, they, we didn't talk about time restricted eating, but Saturn Panda's work didn't come out by then. But this was like really early on. And then I got a random kind of accidental, there's sometimes things are accidental, right? Accidental Facebook request from a guy named Mario Kiriakis, who's a longevity specialist in, in Cyprus. And so I started following him. He had all these amazing articles about longevity. And I was like, wow, this is great. And I did another deep dive down that rabbit hole. And then as things started progressing, the biohacker community started blending with like longevity, ancestral health movement, and the whole paleo FX thing. And so I started getting more and more involved with that. And um, I bought one of those old earlier up bands. I don't know if you remember what those were. Actually, the earliest one was an arm band. I think that was up too. I mean, it was a little bit of a thing. Then my wife would yell at me all the time. What are you wearing that beeping thing going to bed for? Right. That was one of the first tracking devices and more that. Then I got the wrist one, um, and then the Fitbit came out. So there's been this whole kind of uh, evolving kind of, you know, uh, role that, that I've been, uh, this whole evolving thing that I've been, role that I've right. been on. Where do you see it going? I don't know if you have a thought on this, but it's like, to your point, we have all of these uh, gadgets like to measure our biometrics so we can measure HRV, we can uh, measure our, our glucose, um, things like that on the go. I mean, is that kind of where the, the industry is headed is more, more of these biometrics to give us like, to your point or to your kind of motif with your, your profession is like a preventative take so we can measure biometrics that'll allow us to know of things that would happen before they happen. So kind of that take on preventative medicine, like, Hey, your biometrics show this, like you're going to have a heart attack, like in a year or two, if you don't change something like, do you think the industry is headed towards that direction at all? Like a very preventative biometrically centric uh, paradigm. That, that's how it should be. And that's what I, I hope will envision. That's what we're trying to slowly all get the message out, you know, stuff like that. But the problem is, you got to get the majority of the population to buy on. And in order to do that, 
you need government intervention, right? So thing is that you know you need the NIH to fund more studies to show to, to show the benefits of certain longevity things. And you also need the government to kind of put money toward prevention rather than sick care. So I think that if you develop a model where people are incentivized either through gamification uh, or through incentiv- incentivization by making your health insurance premiums less if you work out or show that your biomarkers are really good, um, I think if you trend in that direction, it will help. But you know, the unfortunate thing is Majority of Americans have bought into you know, the whole like McDonald's culture and fast food and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's all. I mean, if you can convince people instead of having McDonald's to have fast casual, you know, stuff that's healthy, like uh, I don't know if they have like uh, True Food Kitchen or you know, there, there are some national chains that are like fast casual that people will have a much healthier you know way to uh, to eat. And then you know, again, you have to just gamify, you know, not everybody has to go to the gym, but if you can somehow give people like an Amazon card by showing that they walk their 10,000 steps. I mean, that's just a crude right. example, but, you know, if, if you can incentivize people to live healthier lifestyles um, and to do more prevention, they will. So I think, you know, a combination of education, earlier screenings, you know, and the cost of all these things are, are going to come down uh, eventually. Right. So like the big screen TVs when they first come at us. So same thing's gonna happen with a lot of these intervention tools that, that we have. I can I can see like most people have a have a mobile phone, right? And there's a bunch of different apps that you can download and some really inexpensive uh, wearables that you can wear that you know people can just you know uh, just optimize themselves and, and just be healthier. And and like I said, we're hoping as a community, as a as a as a preventive medicine community, to get people to buy onto it, but I have to tell you that without government intervention, it's uh, it's going to be hard. Yeah, from a mass adoption perspective, of course, like being in the biohacker world, like <laughs> we're it's such a small small niche compared to the 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 entire population. So, like if we're trying to get this adopted as a country, like yeah it would take some massive intervention for people to change their lifestyle habits because that's essentially what you're trying to get people to do is completely rewire their their habits and their their exercise and their diet and their sleep and their stress all, you know all these things that play a role you're asking people to completely switch their paradigm which to your point like even you're you're talking to, it's kind of ironic like you're trying to reward people from proving their own health like how how odd is that you know like from our mindset it's like ass backwards but let's, let's tap into your longevity like what you provide as a service so what does that look like if someone came to you for like can they just come to you specifically for longevity uh services and what does that look like so uh, again people that are most, a lot of elderly that come in that just want to live longer right and when they come in i do a full comprehensive history Right, preventive history, family history, current history, medications, all that sort of thing, um, and then I do a complete physical on them, and then you know we do certain tests like true age test, uh, true diagnostics, or you know we'll do the gallery test if they want to check and see if they have any cancer. Patients that can afford it, we send for the pre-go, which is a full body scan. Um, 
We do genomic testing and we do whole genome sequencing. Um, although, you know, what, what I tell my patients is, is that genome is like genetic testing. Genome is a, is a blueprint, essentially, right? And that's like the framework of a house, but it's not a home, right? It's not the artwork, it's not plaques, it's not whatever, right? That's what makes a home. So that's the epigenome. And what I explain to people is if you're like the rest of us mortal, that only accounts for 20% of, of what your predetermined destiny is. And the 80% is what you do to turn those chains on and off to allow people to maximize their health and to offset some of the bad genes and to upregulate some of the good genes that have longevity, like FOXO3 and those kind of things. But I do have the occasional patient that is an Apple E23, for example, and has no family history of heart disease, no family history of cancer, and their family all lives to their hundreds. In that case, their genome counts for like 80%, and they can literally throw anything at themselves and their DNA was going to be very efficient at repairing them. So, so I do do, I do whole genome sequencing and, you know, we do a lot of these esoteric tests and gut microbiome testing and, you know, we get a good gestalt comprehensive view of what, you know, people have and what their risks uh, are. Um, and then we map out a plan of action for them, um, of how to get healthier, how to optimize the health and in patients that, um, are, extremes of age, if they're amenable to it, we will start some molecules that, uh, what we call gerotherapeutics, right? Like metformin, rapamycin, that sort of thing. Um, and I've seen a lot of benefit. And it's not like I'm using my patients as guinea pigs because they come to me seeking it out. But when I see over the years that they had no issues with any of these things, then I decided to try it myself. But again, what we talked about before, if someone is so close to the baseline, you're not going to see that much of an effect. So I know when I took metformin, because it's not selective mTOR inhibitor, um, I shrank my muscle. It took me three months to put muscle mass back on. And, I mean, I didn't lose any strength. The strength was exactly the same. In fact, you know, I still progressed in my strength training, but I just got so small, I couldn't do it. So metformin clearly is not for everybody. Um, I, I, I do use it for my patients that are, you know, over 60, that are overweight, that can't commit or, you know, can't commit as much as I commit. Like they, they still do their part, but I use that as a, as a general protector. Um, and then the wrap up, uh, when I started using it was really, really interesting, um, was that I felt a little bit agitated every day, even though I pulsed it and took it once a week. Um, couldn't figure out why. Um, and then my resting heart rate, which is normally when I sleep about 52, was up to about 62. And my HRV, which we talked about before, traditionally in the 20s, went down to like single digits on wrap And I was like, wow, that, that's like, this can't be good for me. But I tried it for six months to see if it did anything. Me personally, I didn't feel any benefit from the wrap Um, So I decided to stop it. When I stopped it, after being on it for six months, I had a hormetic effect. My heart rate dropped into the low 40s. Um, and then my heart rate variability also went up to about 40 something, 50 something even. Um, stayed that way for about two weeks, then trended back down. Well, then I'm thinking, well, maybe I should try it again. But instead of pulsing it every week, maybe do it once a month. You know, it may not be fair. So all this stuff is all kind of trial and error. But on my patients that I do have on, especially the round lady, she's 82. 
And, you know, she, she does weight training, but she does like one and two pound weights with her trainer and stuff. Within three months of being on rapper, she was up to eight pound weights. There's 400% increase in strength. Um, and that's, you know, not doing anything else, but she's still training with the same trainer, but she pushed herself. Um, so there are some benefits to these general. Personally, like outside of those ones that you mentioned, maybe most recently, let's say the last year or two, with your biohacking, what, and I know this is kind of like in the face of what you just said, as far as your, your overall, like pretty fine tuned and, and at your homeostasis. So you don't see big movements with a lot of things you try out. And that's what I tell people a lot with when like educated on red light therapy or just anything. It's like the healthier you are, the less you're going to notice. And that doesn't mean it doesn't work. It, it could very well be a good prophylactic, like for, for a health span longevity uh, mindset. But the sicker you are, the the more disease you have, like the larger of a jump you're going to notice and the more amazing it's going to seem. So my question to you is like, in the face of all of that, is there anything in the last couple of years that you've tried to adopt, whether it's a supplement or, or, or a gadget or what have you, that has made a difference or that you've noticed a, a benefit from? Well, a couple of things. One, you know, we talked about before was, you know, I, I, I had braces for like 10 years. And I had like uh, loss of uh, loss of bone, loss of gum tissue. And thankfully, I had a dentist afterwards that would kind of saved all my teeth and got rid of the periodontal disease and all that sort of stuff. But since I started using the Guardian, uh, the Guardian Plus, like I've seen my gum tissue fill in, and that's when they, you know, like my dentist was like, "Wow, this is this is interesting. That's what he's been doing." And I told that the other thing was interesting. To, not to digress, but to go back to the whole rapid thing. My bones started filling in again. But the only thing I can attribute that to is being on that six months of rapid myosin. Because he took an x-ray. I hadn't taken an x-ray in like two years. I just took another one recently. So that seemed to help. The cocoon, like I, like I said, the, I, I bought that. I've been using that for about a month or six weeks or whatever. And my HRV is double since I started using that. So I'm seeing some objective uh things with that my patients love it so another example like that same lady who was 82 that started strength training her husband bought i think two or three years ago your freestanding one you know the panel rejuvenate yeah so he bought two of them and he was able to stand between it for 10 minutes on a juvent plate so he, he he likes to maximize what he does he stands on a juvent and he's between the two plates and uh, and he used to have he was 86 and he used to have you know these uh kind of ecchymosis these kind of black or blue spots on the arm that all people get because the skin is like friable and so on within six to eight weeks of him using those two panels all that went away so clearly that that's helping as well so you know with a lot of these things i am seeing some objective stuff sure I have to tell you, I'm so glad that the food came out, so I don't have to stand between those two uh, <laughs> things. But I'm missing out on the two that plate. Right, right. Well, maybe you could lay down on that or something. But no, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, I'm just so happy with it. And my, and my again, my, my, my patients love it, and they swear by it. Um, you know, I even keep my eyes open when I'm in there just to make sure I get it on my retina. I don't know. Yep. It's all, again, trial and error, right? Low, low light irradiance. Yeah, like relative to a panel. So you're not blasting your eyes. It's, I think as long as it's comfortable, it doesn't feel harsh. I'm fine with it. And that's, I was just on an Instagram live talking about this, but like with the glow device, which intentionally has a very, very low light irradiance, I even just find this 
relaxing to my like every time i look at the red leds my eyes literally feel relaxed but that's yeah. because these leds are extremely low light radiance compared to even our shine device let alone a panel um in the cocoon you know to your point is 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 a pretty low light radiance device because you're not just shining you know part part of the light on or the light on part of your body you're shining it on your entire body 360 so even though it's a low light radiance, it's still a lot of jewels, relatively speaking, because you're covering such a large surface area all at the same time. I'm so glad you came out. Because the one thing, one thing that I always was telling every, all my friends in the biohack community is like, God, someone needs to develop one of these things. Um, and then I know we spoke about it before. Is like I like keep like I'm tiny, right? So I have my whole body fits them. But if you can make a cocoon in different size, different length, like six foot one or like seven foot one, that even tall people can can be in that would be like something about yeah i think we could do something like a 75 inch option or something like that so no, we're, it's, uh, it's a thought. I'm, I'm just glad i can get my whole body in there yeah like a sardine can well do you have any other anecdotes you know related to red light therapy that one with your gum health is amazing because i get the question all the time does it help with gum recession and while there isn't necessarily much uh, research in this area with red light therapy and like gum recession i've heard time and time again with anecdotes like it just builds up the strength of your gums, you know, relative to where it was before. And like in your point, it sounds like it literally helped with some growth. Is that right, Ron? Yeah, and, I'm, and I've, I've literally been only using it a short time. Right. Wow. So quick results. So yeah, that's just, you know, again, it's an anecdote. It's an N equals one. But to hear for someone like that had scarred gums, is that the way you put it? Yeah, so I had, I had recession. So you literally had recession in... in um, the red and your infrared light helps grow some tissue back. Makes sense. You you improve circulation, you improve oxygenation, cellular energy, all that good stuff. Good stuff's going to happen. But still, it's it's cool to hear that straight from. I don't want to call you a horse, but the horse's mouth, right? Like, it's great to hear that people are getting real results with this stuff. But in, 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 like, you know, now I'm trying the methylene blue. I want to see right. like again. It's all trial and error. Actually, the one thing that I found, uh, it's a, again, I take a bunch of supplements and. Um, I have the MTHFR gene and my homocysteine level was elevated. So I took folic acid that knocked it down. So I take a bunch of supplements based on my genetics. And the same thing, I do that with my patients. I get really targeted strategic with supplements. I don't just haphazardly just randomly give people, okay, you got to take this and take that. I get really strategic. But the one thing that I did take, um, everybody was telling me about is this thing called out calcium alkylutarate and um, a couple of my friends were taking it and that were physicians and they said that they have started getting dark on it and I was like look it, it's a new thing I'll try it whatever and the one thing that happened my hair still white but my eyebrows got darker huh so that that actually it's like, like I said I'm one of these jaded New Yorkers that like nothing floats my boat and then when something <laughs> does work it's like all right you know this, this will help but so the calcium alkylate rate seems to do something interesting do you know what it is like the mechanism for that uh, the guy named brian kennedy he's he, he's in singapore he's a longevity expert brian kennedy is probably the world's foremost expert on calcium alkylate i can ask him but i'm not sure what the mechanism of action is. and i've heard about it for a while i think um dr sandra kaufman had so it's alpha keto calcium alpha keto Glutamate? Not alpha glutamate, but the calcium version is is the seems to be the more potent one. Calcium version? 
Yeah, so there's it's alpha ketoglutarate. Calcium version seems to be uh, a bit more beneficial. Gotcha. Yeah, I've heard about it for a couple of years in the anti-aging circles. I never really looked at, into it until you mentioned it on that phone call um, a little bit ago. So yeah, it's just interesting to see what what works. Let's see from a from a preventative standpoint, just overall, not even necessarily thinking about certain patients or whatever, but just like at large from a preventative perspective. Where does red light therapy fall in the spec- spectrum for you? I mean, I, I think it's an important tool to have in the toolbox if you can afford it, right? So clearly, not everybody can afford to have red light. Um, the other thing is that a lot of people don't need to have room or space to, to have, you know, full panels. And again, that's I can't rave about a cocoon enough because I literally, my wife didn't want me to get one. I was like, look, I'm holding it, putting it under my bed. That's it. And then, you know, I was able to convince her about that. But red light therapy in general, I find that, look, it, it, it can't hurt. Uh, if anything, it can help. My patients that have been using it for a while, I mean, you know, Samir, I think he, yep. we're all good buddies, right? Yep. And Samir has that in his house. I think he got the first one from you. And the uh, rejuvenate, I believe. He, he's one of the first people that told me about it. And, you know, he's got that bio strap. And, He's uh, he's been showing how he has improvements in his metrics when he does the red light therapy. So um, I mean, I have to talk about just one or two people, but in general, majority of my patients and my biohacking friends that do red light therapy just swear by it. They feel energized, and, you know, can feel a bit more clear mentally, a lot more focused. Um, I have a couple of patients that have past or you know like uh, long COVID and uh, they take it and swear by it that they think that they have a lot more energy and less brain fog that they've been having for a while after doing red light therapy yeah, yeah. especially with COVID anything viral I'd be curious if they integrated some uh, some methylene blue to kind yeah. of complex yeah they have not but you know the couple of patients that I have I'm going to suggest that they buy it and try it in combination with red light. I'm sure that will be what the game changer. Totally. Yeah. I'd be curious to, you know, hear back when you, when you get those results. I mean, speaking of methylene blue, do you have any thoughts on that? I know you, like you said, you've listened to a lot of my recent, you know, episodes that highlight methylene blue. Um, you've had bio blue for a couple of weeks, so it's kind of tough to speak on it. But like in general, do you have any thoughts about methylene blue and its potential? I mean, again, I only started using it recently. But uh, I think it's going to be a good enhancer and help just optimize the tissue for you know, the red light therapy. Um, I think even without red light therapy, there's a lot of articles that show, um, like Scott Scher has some articles showing how using methylene blue uh, just enhances everything. I mean, again, it's too novel for me right now. But um, I have one patient who has babesiosis, right? which is like a tick-borne illness. Uh, and even though he was treated and it's gone, he still has the leftover side effects from it. Um, and he still has some antibodies floating around. He's completely fatigued and tired all the time. And uh, I believe he tried methylene blue and they had some improvement in, in just his cognition. Totally. Yeah. But again, I just, I just bought a couple of bottles. I'm going to try it. You know, I've been using it for like the last month. Um, and I will keep you posted. Like I always keep you posted. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. And just lastly here, Dr. Ron, what other tools, you know, for the people listening, of course, we love red light therapy for, for a lot of things, but especially from a preventative standpoint, what other uh, modalities or habits, lifestyle habits are just low-hanging fruit from a preventative standpoint that we haven't talked about yet? So, I mean, the, the basic stuff that I have almost, I, I practice and I have all my patients do. Uh, optimize your sleep, meaning like go to bed on time consistently every day. Keep the room below 67 degrees. Uh, use blackout curtains. Don't have any LEDs in the room. Don't drink any water within four hours of bedtime. Don't eat any food within four to six hours of bedtime. Because um, this way you're not going to get woken up. You won't have that thermogenic effect that your body thinks it's daytime because you just ate and went right to bed. So you'll never get that quality sleep. I know people are going to hate this, but I tell people avoid alcohol at all costs. Because alcohol is just, I believe it's just a toxin that does has virtually zero benefit. And, you know, people will argue, oh, yeah, but look at, you know, the amount of resveratrol and wine and all. But the amount of cardiovascular protection that you get from alcohol is negligible compared to the amount of damage that it does. I believe, like, you know, strength training three days out of minimum of two, preferably three days a week. High intensity interval training one day a week. Endurance training, like, one or two days a week, or like zone two, if I call it. Um, and then incorporating, like, balanced training and incorporating stretching, you know, uh, is, is very important. I think eating, like, an ancestral health diet, which is not that bad, right? So everything's all in hot. It's, uh, it's quote paleo and it's all meat and it's, it's actually not as long as you're avoiding grains dairy and sugar that's like the most benefit right so what i'll have my patients do is swap out like uh almond milk for milk for example uh if you don't like nuts you could well i mean you can do coconut um you know coconut milk instead of almond milk if you can't tolerate nuts and then they can swap out cauliflower rice for their rice and then if you want to have, you know, you're going to be missing calcium and you're going to be missing fiber from the diet when you eliminate grains, right? So I have my patients eat a lot of root vegetables like parsnips, celery root, that sort of stuff. Um, I'm not a big fan of keto, but... Why not? I, I, sorry. Why not? Just out of curiosity. I think, I, I think that, I mean, I think I look at everything through the lens of our, our remote ancestors, right? And they were not in starvation mode all the time. Um, I think ketosis has a point in, in people that have uh, epilepsy or Alzheimer's or cancer. Um, I think that it's good to be ketogenic, full on ketogenic, once a quarter, like doing like a five day fasting mimicking diet, maybe once every quarter. Uh, if you're sick and you have an underlying disease like diabetes, for example, you can do it monthly. Um, but I think our ancestors did go through these periods, long periods where they had to be, although we, we be, if we didn't have the ability to become uh, ketogenic, then we would all, we wouldn't be here today, right? So there's a place for it, but I think that it has to be what I like to call punctuated ketosis, meaning like, like I said, quarterly or more frequently than quarterly. I am, and I have my patients, uh, do, uh, have a flexible metabolism, right? Where if you're eating paleo diet, and don't overdo it with the carbs. Um, you should be in a state where right before your first meal, when you do time restricted eating, you're in light nutritional ketosis every day. 
And then the minute you have your first meal, you're done, you're out of ketosis, right? And then the next morning, like you just cycle on and off and on and off. I mean, and I find my patients when they do that tend to be like the healthiest. And to have a flexible metabolism, I think, is is a very important thing to do. Um, and I think incorporating ancestral health diet and incorporating time restricted eating, I, I think six to eight hours is fine, unless you're older, right? If you're over sixty five, you want to be on what's called a uh, circadian fast, meaning fasting thirteen hours close. You know, people over sixty five need more calories, more high quality protein than people that are that are younger. So I think between time restricted eating, the exercise, uh, some form of meditation, uh, incorporating modalities like red light therapy, methylene blue, uh, adding certain targeted supplements, uh, all these things uh, kind of help. I, I also like sauna. I think people, if you, if you can do it like uh, 20 to 30 minutes sauna, like 40 is out of it, just regular dry sauna. It doesn't have to be one of those sexy infrared, whatever things, just plain old regular dry sauna. Uh, a few days a week just to activate those heat shock proteins is, is a good thing to do. Um, so, yeah, there's this, this is a bunch of different calories. And, and I'm constantly running, right? But I, I usually look at stuff that's validated, that has science behind it. I'm not going to just anecdotally, you know, just recommend something. Like I go to a lot of these longevity meetings and literally half of the stuff, if not more, is snake oil, right? And there's nothing to back it up. Um, Could you give us some so, examples? Sorry? Could you give us some examples? So there's just, I've got the name of the company, but I went to a longevity, I think I went, what was it? It was uh, A4M, which is in Vegas every year. So I went to A4M. It's huge. And uh, there was a company that was there that was selling something that they said made you produce more stem cells. And I said, well, how does it do it? What's the mechanism of action? We don't know. We just know that it does. <laughs> but there has to be, you have any paperwork for this? Like, oh, no, we just, and here's a couple of things that they're not studies, but these are people that we followed. In. Well, I'm like, look, you know what? Here's my card. Make sure when the owner comes, maybe the owner can call me and I can discuss it with them, right? And the guy's, why am the owner? I'm like, oh, God, that's crazy. He's the owner. He, even, he couldn't even back up his own product. Right. So that's just one example. There's kind of stuff that like that like that that goes on. Oh, the other thing I'm in, in favor of is hyperbaric therapy, right? I think hyperbaric therapy is cool and same thing, just like I bought the cocoon. I think when I, I get some more room, I will put my own personal hyperbaric chamber in my home, uh, if I can possibly get one. So but I think so hyperbaric sauna, red light therapy, and and all these different, you know. Like you said, low-hanging fruit, stuff that you can do every day that you don't need a lot of equipment for, right? You know, you don't need a lot of equipment for exercise. And yeah, and it's like how many people listening can check off the box for all of those things you listed? I, I, I would hazard a guess very few because we're more intrigued by the newest and coolest gadget versus doing like the long-tried and true habits that actually work. You know what I mean? Like working out, strength training, endurance, sprints yoga or stretching meditation it's like simple things um when i tell people I'm like, look, anybody can find it like, how many of us just play around for like an hour don't do anything or sit there in front of the tv or do mindless stuff anybody any person can find at least an hour a day in their schedule to be able to fit any of these modalities in. there's no excuse yep 
We'll say there's total motivation. It's like, it's not that you don't have time to do it. Like from a health or longevity standpoint, you don't have time not to do it. Like that's, it should be such a high priority. Just quickly, uh, Dr. Ron, could you explain ancestral diet to us? So again, it's anything, if you look at your plate and if your pre-agricultural ancestor would not have recognized it, don't eat it. So it's either like lion caught fish, grass-fed meat, bison. Uh, I'm not even a big fan of chicken. I think wild poultry is better, right? Like turkey, pheasant, quail, um, those kind of things. I think that everything ultimately, you know, uh, is affecting the gut microbiome. And the closest that you can have a gut microbiome that's congruent with your pre-agricultural ancestors, that is seasonal, that's local, that, you know, is based on your ethnicity, like, you know, if you come from Eastern Europe, for example, whatever ancestral health diet from Eastern Europe would have been, or South America would have been, or Mexico would have been. But it really should be congruent with a, a pre-agricultural lifestyle. So, I mean, and I'm, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, you know all this already, but not, not to beat a dead horse, but I think humans have been around a couple hundred thousand years, unless you're a creationist, right? And the global warming really started 11,000 years ago. So the Earth came back into its regular normal elliptical pattern. Uh, and in theory, we're still coming out of the, the second ice age right now. And about 11,000 years ago, when the planet started first warming up, all of the you know, glaciers started receding toward the poles. And, you know, we all these floodplains opened up. And instead of, you know, humans are lazy in general. I'm sure our ancestors were lazy, right? And I'm sure what happened was instead of having a hunt gather, they saw all these animals reproducing around them because there was all this vegetation. And they were like, oh, my God, this is this is insane. Like, let's just set up camp here. And, like, there's a rabbit. Let me go get that. Eat it. You know, then they got lazy and they started domesticating animals and, having crops and all that sort of stuff. And a really interesting point that someone had, uh, we had a conversation the other day, um, is all of these oral traditions that were handed down in the Bible, for example, like uh, like Noah's Ark and the Great Flood and Garden of Eden, all that came down to oral traditions from when the planet started first warming up, right? It was like the Garden of Eden, because there was plentiful food and, and vegetation everywhere for anybody to eat. And then, you know, when it came to the Great Flood, you can look at even Mayan history or in Asia and China, around 11,000 years ago, all these sto- every single culture has a story of the Great Flood. And all those stories come from these floodplains that opened up after the glaciers started receding. So I think that eating as close to whatever I've got microbiome programmed us for, for the last hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand years of evolution, and the last 11,000 years, which is relatively, 11,000 years, which is a relatively small blip in time, we just haven't caught up yet. So I think eating according to that pre-agricultural diet is, is very important. And my patients that do about that do just so much better health-wise. And so that would necessitate then like taking an ancestral, like figuring that out, right? Like a test, like ancestry.com or like you need to figure out what your ancestry is. So like how much percentage is Eastern European versus, you know, Asian versus whatever. I know yeah. what's most predominant and then tailor it towards that, correct? I mean, it, that, that's kind of hair splitting. But I think from a general perspective, 
I think, you know, if you just eliminate grains, dairy, and sugar, like most of the planet had before agriculture, that's half the battle. If you want to fine tune it and tweak it and want to get granular, then yeah, then doing that kind of testing would be helpful, but it's not the be all end all. Does uh, goat cheese count as dairy? You know, there's uh, there's debate about that. It is considered dairy, but uh, if you are going to cheat, then that's probably like your preferred cheat method. Is it because of the A1, um, A2 situation with, with yeah. uh, milk from a cow? Like, is that which causes inflammatory issues yeah. in the body? Is that the main concern with dairy? Yeah, there's like certain like lectins and apple proteins that are in there that can do it as well. Gotcha. And so... Yeah. If yeah, it's not a cow, then potentially I don't want to say it's fine, but like it's better. It's a it's a, an alternative, so to speak, compared to traditional dairy. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like this. Even like so, for example, I'm I'm I walk the talk, right? I'm like a purist with all this. So I uh, and I still have whey protein. And whey protein is the is it paleo? Is it not paleo? Blah 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 blah. But you know what? I need a good source of protein. I need I need to be able to get my 30 or 40 grams in of every meal. So what better way to do it than to get a you know, protein-like way? So have you looked into essential amino acids? I try to get me personally, I try to get as much as I can from my food. Like I eat really high quality foods and you know, I have grass-fed meat. I eat I think my amino acid profile is I mean, I do my blood test and check my amino acid or my blood and, and it's perfect so i mean for my patients that are deficient i have some patients that, that that do it when they train for sure well i'm just thinking as far as like an alternate do you say that you still use whey protein for the, so as an alternative to that this is just what i learned and this is like from ben greenfield podcast years and years ago i think his name is dr david minkoff down in florida is the one that kind of found this out is that when you combine i think it's eight or nine essential amino acids uh, not to be confused with branch-chained amino acids, which is like there's, what, three or four of them. But when you ingest these eight or nine in combination, the protein synthesis is far superior to any food you can eat. Egg is the closest or is the highest uh, protein synthesis rate at like 50%. Um, I think the next step down is like fish at like 30 or 33%. And then you have like the beef and the chicken and all that stuff at like 20% or so. But then you get down to like the uh, whey proteins and the pea proteins and stuff like that. And it's even lower. And then you have branch chain amino acids at like less than 1%. And these essential amino acids are at like 95% or 99% protein utilization rate. Meaning... So, so that's, if, you, if you're taking those BAAs in, how many grams of protein do you get from that? Because I thought it was just basically a supplement. It is a supplement, but to your point, it is like a protein. Uh, I don't want to say substitute because you shouldn't be substituting like real meat. Really Exercise not. perspective or like putting on muscle or like you're saying as a way to have more amino acid profile during every meal. It's it's seemingly the best bang for your buck. So it's like consuming five or ten, especially after a hard workout. I don't. I, I wish I had the bottle in front of me right now. To yeah, I, I could have seen after a workout. Yeah, that's that's yeah. Just kind of curious because when I learned that, it's like I was I was on the board or on the um train of taking whey protein after all my workouts and whatever. But when I learned about this, I switched over to essential amino acids and haven't looked back since just because of 
that research. You know, I, I'll definitely try some. Again, like, someone like yourself would be kind of, I'd be interested since, since you're so fine-tuned and have everything dialed in. But regardless, like, we don't need to digress any longer on that. Just some food for thought for people. Well, Dr. Dr. Ron, this has been amazing. I appreciate your time because I know you're, you're crazy busy over there in New York City. Uh, where can people go to learn more about you, uh, more from you in, in your business? So um, my website is drprimas.com, D-R-P-R-I-M-A-S.com. It also comes under travelmd.com. So travelmd.com or drprimas.com, and that'll give you everything that you need to know about me and uh, what we do. And I am in New York, so if anybody is in New York and wants to pop by and do a consult, I'm happy to help. And uh, definitely love all your products and I love everything that you're doing as well. And, and thanks for making that. I, I can't tell you how many years we've waited on that. Like, we, we talked about it even before you had it in yep. your brain, right? Yep. And I'm so glad that that happened. Well, I appreciate that, Dr. Ron. Yeah, appreciate Glad for the support, and I'm really glad that you're uh, finding it beneficial. I think to your point, you know, having a full-body, flexible apparatuses, I mean, there's just a lot of good things to like about it. So I'm glad that you've been utilizing it, your patients have been utilizing it, and you guys have been uh, seeing some benefits from it. But again, thanks for your time. Thanks for your education. Thanks for your support and listening to my show, Dr. Ron, because I know you've been listening for quite some time. Uh, but yeah, everyone, go check out... Uh, his his website. Go check out his services. Um, do you do telehealth at all, or is it just in person? I, I, not not for longevity, but I do I do do telehealth. But for longevity, I at least need people to come in once or twice a year just to you know I'm a touchy feely guy, so I need to be hands on and then like you know look at the data. I do some I do some telehealth for my concierge patients, um, but I need to see people maybe at least once a year for the annual physical, preferably more than that, if we do, you know, more intensive kind of therapy, like the metformin or rapid way, I have to be on top of it, make sure that there's no side effects of that sort of thing. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, so for everyone listening, we'll leave the the links for um, Dr. Ron's website and otherwise in the the show notes below, so go check them out. Uh, But again, Dr. Ron, appreciate you. For Dr. Primus, This has been Dr. Mike Belkowski on another episode of the Red Light Report. Everybody have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.